give young minds or people who are aspiring to do greater things the opportunity to learn from where it is that I have gone. Hey everyone, welcome to the Executive Order Podcast, a show for small business owners who want to learn how to do less to accomplish more. I'm a professional organizer based in Somerville, South Carolina, and I know there isn't a one-size-fits-all for organizing within your business. In talking with my guests and chatting about our struggles, our wins, and our lessons learned, I hope that you can learn what works best for you and create a business and a life that's just right for you. Hey everyone, we have the pleasure of chatting with Alec Watson today. He is the founder of Your Visual Brand and he's based out of the Pacific Northwest. Hey Alec, how's it going? It's going fantastic. I'm excited to chat with you. I love to hear it. I'm super excited. You are bringing something that we haven't yet really had a chance to talk about on the podcast. So I'm super excited to hear about your experience and the way that you are working and the way that you intend to help people. So can you tell people about what Your Visual brand is and about the work that you do. Sure. I'll do it from the point of view of a tiny bit of background. So I'm a director of photography by trade. And so I film and photograph for all sorts of brands. And it started off with, you know, kind of smaller brands. And so I felt their pain points. And then as I got to work with bigger brands, Coca-Cola, Britney Spears, Starbucks, Microsoft, I noticed that a lot of the brands still have the same pain points. And it amazed me that it doesn't matter what size you are, the pain points are all kind of similar. I've always wanted to teach and educate, and I knew one day that would be you know part of my future. And so I came across a, a career path, especially with COVID, that it's just like, okay, well, maybe seeing as how I can't be out there filming, I need to advance this idea of codifying it is what it is that I do as a director of photography and help people with their pain points of visual branding. We're inundated with like five to 10,000 brand ads per day as an internet user. And so as a small brand, how do we cut through that noise? And there's definitely strategies that we can all use no matter what size business we have to be able to pull that off. And so that's what I've been working on codifying. So you are you intending to continue to work with the big companies or do you prefer to work with smaller companies? Who's your ideal audience? Oh, that's a great question. You know what? They're honestly different jobs. And so when I work with a small company, I have the advantage of getting to be a bit of a storyteller with them. And maybe a little like your job with interviewing people. When I'm a director of photography for a smaller company, I get to interview people. And anybody who's got a successful business, it's a passion project, right? And so I get to work with people, learn about what they're passionate about, learn who their audience is and why they're trying to help their audience. And then I get to tell that story. And you know, there's something that's super fulfilling about that. And honestly, when when I work with a bigger brand, there's people, you know, there's somebody that's telling the story. There's somebody that's checking and testing with the audience. And I'm a little more, that calls himself at times, a button pushing monkey where they're just trained to do a single thing and do it well. And they hit the buttons at the right time. And so that, you know, that would be what I want to avoid, you know, being part of that creative process and, and knowing at the end of the day that you made a difference working. So I like working for big companies that want to make a difference. So if I feel at the end of the day that I made a difference with a big company, I can be that uh, button pushing guy. If I'm working with a small company, it has to be somebody who wants to make an impact. And when you make a difference in people's lives, you get to feel great about it. 
Yeah, I love the distinction between that of how it looks different working with a large company, how it looks different working with a smaller company, but that in both worlds, it's important to you that the work that they're doing is impactful and that they are trying to bring something greater into the world or into the market, whatever that might mean. Absolutely. And for sure, I have turned down jobs where it's just like, oh, no, that's I can't be behind that. I wouldn't put my name on that and I wouldn't feel good at the end of the day. And I would really love that payday. Thank you for very much for thinking of me. Yeah. That's something that we've talked a little bit about on the podcast before about qualifying your ideal clients, because I think that it's really important to do that. I think that you provide a better service when you are actually matching your services with the people that you can best serve rather than just saying, yeah, I'll, I'll take, you know, you want to give me money? Terrific. As hard as that is sometimes, you know, sometimes it would be great to just like cash that check. But in order to really be getting your reputation and building this business that you want to be doing and working with the people you want, you really have have to know who isn't going to fit that mold and, and who you have to say no to. Absolutely. I think that's one of the tough growth things to learn in business. So like my business would be very similar to others in that you're starting out, you say yes, an opportunity comes your way, you've got to pay the bills and you've got to eat. But then as you start to brand yourself, and I guess that's part of your self-branding process, you get to raise those prices as you find who your audience is, who you help the most and how you create the impact. And it's kind of self-fulfilling really, isn't it? As you do that, you get to be paid more and you enjoy your job so much more. And it all kind of starts with saying no at some point. And it's totally counterintuitive. And it it's is. scary as all get out when you start to like be a little bit more discerning about that. But it really does create such a better end product. Not that I think that there's ever really an end product in our business because it's changing every day or I think it should be. I think that as life and things and our skills and experiences change, it all continues to change. I heard you say saying before that you like being part of a storyteller for a small business. Can you talk a little bit more about being a storyteller? Absolutely. This is honestly one of the areas that is hugely problematic for every size of business. So whether it's a small business, medium business, or a large business, there's a surprisingly little amount of storytelling that goes on in video content. And the only reason I say that is not as a viewer, but somebody who's worked on the other side who gets the calls from, you know, the these different size businesses and they've got something that they want to create content about. And, and so that's why they've contacted me. And for me, as a director of photography, I tell visual stories, but an actual story, it, it has to have a hook. It has to have a why. And I don't know who the audience is. So when somebody contacts me from a brand, like I don't know what their audience is motivated by. I don't know what their problem is that they want to solve. And so this often with businesses gets confused with demographics. And so they can give me demographic information, but that'll honestly not tell me anything about the motivation of their audience. And the, the motivation is kind of where their heart's at, what's going to make a difference to them. And when you can reach that, that's also make an impact in the bottom line. I mean, every business wants to make money, right? When you know what their why is, why they need to make this change, then you have the start to a story. And the number of businesses that come to me and say, okay, so we're making something about this and there isn't a why. There's not a storyline. So, you know, not only do we have to hook people off the top, we have to deliver something that looks like a success. When 
when at the end of the story, there has to be an outcome for the audience because, you know, presumably somebody that's in the audience watching, they're looking at like, this could be, this could be me. And when you're thinking, oh, that's, I can see myself doing that. I can see myself going through that. I could grow through that. And that could be my awesome outcome. When your audience member can put themselves in those shoes, then you know you're hitting the right audience with all the right things. You can make a difference. And the number of businesses that don't show up with that for a campaign or content, it's more about, okay, so we've got these people and these models and we're going to shoot them here and we're going to shoot them there and then we're going to wrap. And that does not make the world a better place. There's no story in that. And and I must fess up that not everybody gets calls like that. I work a lot in the beauty world and I'm probably, I'm a specialist in kind of beauty shots. I, I will get hired by a company specifically because I can make things look really pretty. And so maybe I get more of those calls than other people do. But still, if you've got a story, you need that beginning, the middle and the end. And if you're a small or growing business, knowing that you've got to create content, you know, whether it's you're, you're holding up your phone in front of you and you're about to go live, knowing what your intro is going to be, why it matters, getting through your five W's and getting a close on there. If you know that before you start, you're honestly doing better than a lot of medium to big businesses who are like, okay, let's throw $100,000 at it and make some pretty content. So storytelling, super important. So important. And it made me kind of think about, and forgive me if I'm like so off base here. No, it's okay. Go ahead. You know, it just like kind of made some commercials come to mind where some that you're just like, hold on, what was that? What just happened? And what's, what's going on here? What are they selling? Or like pharmaceutical commercials where it's like very clearly like your problem is you don't want to get out of bed and it's very dramatic and really upsetting. And then you take this pill and you're skipping through the meadows and don't you wish you were skipping through the meadows? Yes, you're absolutely right. And I have never worked on a pharmaceutical commercial. I'm going to tell you now that as horrible as it is, they do something right. And that shows in their bottom line and there's people actually buying those things. Part of what they're doing right is they're defining the problem and they're telling people how to solve the problem. I personally would not do it that way if I were to create something. But if if somebody isn't clear on how to structure a story or what the structure parts of the story are, they are right there. They're all right there in that pharmaceutical ad. And then, like you said, you know, there's other sets of ads where it's just like, what? It was like they missed the structure. I probably work on more of those ads where there isn't really a structure. It's about a feeling. And, you know, if you can create a feeling, that's really powerful. But I would like to believe that if you can tell a story and create a feeling, that's how you're going to be most impactful. What are some elements about or some elements that help create a feeling in? Oh, that's a super tough one to answer. I've been working on codifying that. So creating a feeling in terms of imagery, it's going to be audience dependent. And sometimes I talk to people, fame comes up every once in a while. And I've got this thought that fame is geographical, not so much that it's just completely about location, but fame has a space that it can reach out to and it's audience dependent. And it could be geographic, it could be age dependent, it could be what part of the society you're in. You're going to have the same thing in creating feelings. You have to have your audience empathize. I don't think there's something that you can say, this is going to make your audience empathize. When you ask that, I was like, it's a tough one to answer. But what I can tell you is you can find that in a different place. And so where you want to define that is by looking at your audience and knowing what their motivations are. And so rather than looking to answer what's going to give them all the feels, go and look at your audience's lives. And there will be a similarity in 
in what they want. When you can see what motivates your audience, then you're going to know what creates feelings in them. And then that's when you can create imagery that appeals to those feels. Now, if you ask me what those might be, I don't have prepared off the top of my head. what some of those audience motivations might be. And I clearly should have something like that ready for if somebody ever asks. So thank thank you in advance for that. But that would be the answer is there isn't a specific answer, but it's absolutely a thing that you can find out And by doing a little bit of research there, and when I mentioned demographics earlier, that's one of the areas that people go wrong in is they look for the answer in the demographics. The answer's not there. Demographics will give you a bit of the information. Like, I can possibly, let me see if I can pull this off. This will either work or it'll be a total failure. So if you were to work in, let's say you are the owner of an independent hotel, so like a fine boutique hotel, and I were to tell you that I've got somebody that's part of a demographic audience that fits your high-end boutique hotel, but they're a single mom and they haven't had a job in about 15 years. They have two kids and they've been divorced several times. What kind of services would you offer this person? And you might not think by demographics that this person is a fit for for your hotel at all because you look at those demographics and she's like she hasn't worked in that long like who is this person but then I could show you a picture of say Pamela Anderson and you go oh that's not who I pictured when you gave me that demographic information and so like I mean that's an extreme example but demographics they don't give you the information of the motivations of your audience knowing the motivation is way more important than knowing an age and what they purchase like there's some things that we can gather from demographics that will have an overlap. Motivations is where it's at. That makes a lot of sense and is definitely much harder to get to. You don't have someone just fill out their information where it's like, okay, and tell me what your motivations are. You know, it's much easier to get to where do you live? How old are you? What's your income? But you're absolutely right. It's such a hollow marker because there's so much more into how that person makes decisions, what affects that person, what, like you said, the motivation. So what struggles do they have? What needs do they have that aren't being met? And that's where you can really get in there. Yeah, you're totally nailing it with that. We tend to ask that information like income, are they married? Do they own their own home? That tells us a little bit about their struggles. But if we can find ways to find out what their problem points are, then we 100% know what motivates them. And then suddenly we can be really specific on creating things that appeal to them, that that reach their heart. And so that information, and you know what? You'd be surprised at how easily you can ask information like that. You just got to disguise it in a way. So things like getting your client to create comments or creating more opportunities to have relationships with your clients, that's where you're going to get that information. And it's super important information for a growing business because when you can reach people on that level, you've made kind of a client for life. That's how you've grown that relationship rather than just kind of having this, I don't know, shallow business relationship. That makes me think of it. I'm sure that there's a quote that I should be attributing this to someone, but just that notion that you might be thinking about your next 10 clients when what you should be thinking about is the 10 clients you have right now. Because in building those relationships, what you're going to get out of that is better than having 20 clients that you know something about versus having 10 clients that you really understand and know so much about. Absolutely. I will suggest that I am not the best photographer or filmmaker out there. And I am totally fine with that. I look at some people's work and I just go, wow, that is unbelievable. But I can say for sure that my ego has never gotten in the way 
at any job I have ever taken. I am there as a service. I'm there to help. They have an audience. And I'm going from that place of service where I can be a creative and serve at the same time. And I think that's made a huge difference for me career-wise. And there have been clients that I've let go, but I don't think I've ever been fired from something. I've always gotten to move on just through growth. Yeah. I was gonna say, apart from maybe Brittany, because I didn't show up for a shoot once because I it was too short notice. <laughs> and and that didn't get liked. And I never got called again. So <laughs> so there may there may be an exception on that one. But if you were to be fired by someone, it you know. I mean, yeah, I don't know if I got fired, but it was just like, no, I'm I'm booked. I was I've been booked for months. I cannot I can I can't possibly show up on that to that shoot for you. Right. I want to transition a little bit. I know that as part of your business, you're really focused on education and about codifying the work that you do. Can you just talk a little bit one about why you want to be educating and how that has been something that you've wanted to fulfill that education space and how you're doing that and the work you're doing. Oh, I would love to. Thank you for mentioning that. I remember back in the 90s. Oh, you're going to have to help me with this one now. Let's see if you can do this for (laughs) me too. There was a movie about a a music professor, a musician who went back and taught high school music. Mr. Something's Opus. Ah, it's not going to happen. I've never seen Mr. Holland's Mr. Holland's Opus. Sorry. (laughs) It just, it came out of nowhere. I just know nothing about movies. I am not the right one for this. That's all good. I think it was Mr. Holland's Opus. I haven't thought about it in forever, but when you ask the question like that, it's just like, I I actually happened to know when this idea happened and that so was when cool. it happened. But I, I honestly haven't thought about that since, I don't know, like the year 2000. Uh, way back then, I was just like, I want to be a teacher. I want to take what I've learned through this life and go back and give people, give young minds or people who are aspiring to do greater things, the opportunity to learn from where it is that I have gone. And that was something that he did. And we've all had those great teachers in our lives who were just like, man, that person made such a difference. Like, why are they a teacher? And they're a teacher because it called them. And I remember seeing this movie and it called me in that way to go, wow, that is something that I really need to do. And it, and I've always, I've always been left with this. I was going to be a university professor for music and like directly from that movie. And while I was waiting to become a professor, like digital video cameras came along in a way where I was just like, you know what, I need to go and try this. And then all of a sudden I, I had a, a career that, that completely launched in ways that were unexpected and took me around the world filming for all sorts of brands. But as I've come to the other side of that going, you know what, there's not many things in my tick box of the list that I want to achieve that I haven't achieved in that realm, but I still haven't taught. And so everything has been moving over to fill in some gaps. So I went back to school, went, got my master's at Harvard in digital media. I was a shoe in for most of the classes because that was the area that I worked in. But honestly, there's something definitely important about looking at it from a teaching perspective because we all have expert blindness with what we do. And it's just like, how do we structure teaching? And so they gave me the opportunity for classes that, you know, of subject matter that I really knew, but how to break it down in ways that were bite-sized from like amazing professors 
who, you know, they are the top of what they do. So I recently taken a job as a university professor because I can't travel. <laughs> so I have a semester doing that. So this is my first semester is actually teaching at a university. And I've created an online course on visual branding. And the important part to that to me was to take things that are kind of artistic and cerebral and have never really been written down and make them consumable for somebody to look at and go, you know what? As a small brand owner, I think I could lead a campaign and I could lead a brand strategy and have visuals that tie into one another so that my brand can cut through the noise rather than just uh, trying to keep up with social media and add a couple of pictures here and there. Like if I follow this set of guidelines, I can make something that is impactful. And the internet's like a fantastic equalizer. We don't know what's on the other end. And you can be a small brand, like, you know, six figure income and look like seven figures easy by putting things together. And the opposite happens all the time too, where you've got a small to medium business that just looks horrible on the internet. And it's like, who is doing that? So my goal is to make everybody look like a million bucks who's not a million bucks. And if you are a million bucks, I want to make you look like a hundred million bucks. How is it that you, it sounds like in the work that you're doing in the education that you're doing, you're working with people that have no experience in this. So how are you able to break it down and break it up so that you can teach someone that's never done this work before? Oh, all the good questions. Everybody knows what a great photograph looks like. I think that we can all look at a photo and go, that's a great photo. What we can't do easily is look at a mediocre photo and know why it's mediocre. And those things are teachable with design, with photos, and with video. I remember this from my music career. I worked in Nashville as a recording engineer and producer. There was always this place when you demo a lot of songs when you're starting out. So what, what happens is, you know, people write the songs, they've got a publishing deal and they get a small amount of money to produce a finished version. That finished version is what's going to get pitched to the artists. The goal with that small budget version is to make it sound as polished production as you can. But you know what? You never get there. It's a pretty rare day that you hear a demo and go, that sounds like a finished production. 99% of people would not be able to pinpoint what it is that's the problem, but they can hear it. And so when you've got experience, you can look at the individual components. And that's what I've been trying to codify is no one's going to go through your visual brand and become a great photographer or a great videographer or a designer. You know, people go to school for years to do that. There's a certain level of talent that goes along with that to become truly great. But what you can do is know what your story is, what your why is, and what the components are that you're going to need to be able to communicate to people. If I've got a local photographer, I live in a small town in the Pacific Northwest at the moment. I have, I don't think I've ever taken commercial photos here, but I would suggest, did I say my ego never got in the way earlier today? <laughs> <laughs> I would suggest that if a small company in this town that I lived in hired me to do photos and hired a local photographer to do photos, that they're going to get better photos with me. And that's probably because I'm going to ask them the right questions. And the other photographer is going to take really well lit photos. By teaching people 
to be able to answer what the questions are by knowing what the questions are that they need to answer when they bring on a subcontractor, they're going to be able to tell them that information. Even though that local photographer would, wouldn't ask the same questions as me, it would never occur to them to ask the same questions as me because they haven't been educated in that way. They probably don't know that they need to know the motivation of the audience of this person because they're literally just going to go and try and take great pictures. And I, and I know that because that's what I used to do. And then when I got a little better, I would ask demographics thinking that that was, that was helping me to take better photos. And so again, that was me learning from you know my own experience. That's where that teaching thing of going, you know what, I'm going to take all the experience that I have, codify it in ways that are understandable, and I'm going to help people to raise the bar by learning what it is that they need to know so they can empower the people around them to make them great. That is such a great competitive advantage. Just knowing the questions to ask, you're getting to the heart of the matter. And although they're saying, hey, I'd like some pictures, I'd like a video. Sure, both of you could give some pictures or give a video, but what you're going to be able to produce because you've asked the right questions is, you're right, 10 times better at least than just going off the basics of the video or the pictures. Absolutely. And, and if I gave those same questions to the other photographer, depending on their level of experience and talent, they're either going to do way better or they might do better than me. Maybe they're actually a better photographer than me, but they didn't know those questions to ask because they're not educated that way in business. Like when you think of most photographers, you don't think of entrepreneurs and business people. And so you can't probably expect somebody who's always wanted to be a photographer and take photos to be entrepreneur like mind. They're not going to have that mindset. And same with a videographer. They, they're going to be somebody who tells a story, but they probably don't know that story. They didn't learn that story because that's not why they became went into video to become a successful entrepreneur. So it's on the entrepreneur to be able to communicate this information. So that's my goal is to put this in the hands of the people that communicate this to to raise their brand. And you know what? The proof's going to be in the pudding, really. But I strongly suspect that it's going to make a difference. And at the end of the day, that's going to be that's going to be a feel good feeling on my end. And you know, that's that is the hope. It sounds to me like throughout your professional career, you have always been in a creative role. Do you consider yourself a creative? Yeah, I'm honestly super lucky. I I've had like maybe three like jobs in my life. So so right out of high school, I got a job through my, my dad who worked at an ice cream plant and I stacked ice cream in the freezer. It was a really big freezer. The freezer was like the size of, I, I don't know, maybe getting onto the size of a Walmart. And you would go in there in the morning in your freezer gear and you would drive a pallet jack around and stack ice cream. As you can imagine, I did not last long in that job. Turns out I was a really bad ice cream stacker. So I would get an order from like a big, a big grocery store and then you had to fill out this order. And I was honestly terrible at filling out orders. Like I would get to the end and you'd, you'd finally get to leave the freezer and shrink wrap it. And then I'd remember, oh, I didn't go and get one of those and I have to run it. And everybody would be getting mad at me because it's just like, it's like what, what is wrong? with this guy? How come he can't? And I think it was like the opposite. My mind was off in a zillion directions while I was slowly stacking ice cream and I would lose count. Like, you know, you try and count 96 double buckets of, uh, 
Yeah, I, I trust me. It's like doing reps at the gym. It's just like I need a little counter there. Like I, I can get through you know three sets of of ten, but if I've got to do you know seven sets of fifteen, it's just like am I on set six? Like where where am I? Uh, that was my ice cream problem. It didn't last very long, and I had a CompUSA job that literally lasted thirty seconds once in Nashville. I was between bands, and I had that type of job. I took a job at CompUSA, and I I walked in the door, and the manager said, "Is that an earring?" And I was just like, <laughs> "Yes," and he said, we don't allow earrings here. <laughs> this is back earrings in the 90s. Khakis, you know, I mean, you can't, it's one or the other. <laughs> and, and I just said, oh, my bad. I think I'm in the wrong place. And I turned around and walked out. I don't know. Does CompUSA exist? Did I just bash CompUSA? I think they're gone. I think they're way gone. So <laughs> go ahead, talk freely. <laughs> So yes, I, I would definitely fulfill being a creative. I've been super, super lucky in my life. And again, I don't think it's that I have some kind of outrageous creative mind. What I think I had were parents that allowed me to be a creative. They gave me opportunity. I work, my parents were like blue collar and they allowed me access to explore. And I have two kids now as a stepdad. And that's one of the things that I love is trying to come up with ways to allow them to feel that way. And I think that's that's what makes, I mean, that's my experience. That's what made me a creative was knowing that if I landed on my face, my parents would be there to pick me up and they, they never had to because I got to be creative enough to get around that. So how are you finding the intersection of being an entrepreneur and being a creative right now? Entrepreneur and creative, they're like different hats, aren't they? They get in the way of each other. I'll just be straight with you. So there's going to be an intersection that's going to happen for me that will be difficult. One of them is that I am just finishing my... My course that I've worked on for about five years now. Uh, so the Your Visual Brand course I've been working, that's been my baby for five years. Wow. I didn't realize it was that long. As that comes to a finish, I have to put on the marketing hat and that is what I'm going to be marketing for. I don't know how long into the future. Like that has been the goal. And so what does that look like now to change those hats? That said, I think of somebody like, you know, I look to people who've gone before me always. So I don't do quick segues. This is a super quick segue. Mood boards. A mood board allows you to look visually at where people have gone before. You look at what other creatives do and you go, oh, I could pick that and that. And then you kind of see something that's working together and that creates ideas for you. I use a lot of that in my life in all sorts of ways. And so that quick segue was to bring up the fact that I look at where people have gone before me in the same way that a mood board works. And so when I look at somebody like, say, Marie Forleo, who has got a super successful course that was was made some time ago, but gets to be a creative all the time and finds different ways to be a creative. And as a super successful, super savvy businesswoman still sells this thing she created over here. I think that will be the way that I will work as a creative, as an entrepreneur is looking at the way that people have gone before me and managed to pull that off. She's probably the trailblazer for me on that one. Like when I say, look at a, a Brendan Burchard, a year with Robin Sharma as his creative director from working with him and seeing how he led to his audience. He was uh, a creative always. Sometimes he had to be a businessman. And of course, he, he had to make money as a businessman based on you know the, the people that have gone before me who are just fantastic at being entrepreneurs, business leaders, but live creative lives. That's who I'm going to model my career after at this point. 
That's awesome. As we finish up here today, are there any other outstanding ideas around organization and being an entrepreneur in the space that you're specifically in or any other like last thoughts that you want to share to the audience? Organization wise, and it's been the story of my life for years now, but codifying what it is that I do, I hear about it in other businesses from the point of view of being able to take yourself out of the business. Does the business actually exist? And for me, the answer is no. No, I I am the business. So many of us are the business. There's so many reasons to get it written down about what we can do because we can take the weight off of ourselves and we can start to parse out jobs to people who are specialists, or it allows us to use our time and our income and resources in better ways as entrepreneurs. And that's so important. When I get to work as a team, my team can do amazing things. And I appreciate that about the people who, you know, there really are people who love and think about every day about loving the job of the thing that we like to do least. <laughs> so I was just like, why not make sure those people have a passionate job so that we can follow our bliss and do what it is that we love. And I think that all starts with writing down what it is that we do. And then, and from there, that's where we can find, we can find the gaps and go, okay, that is what I do. That is what I love right there. This one I don't love, but I can find somebody who does. And it's just a win-win all around. I find that that's something that is often talked about in small businesses, startups, entrepreneurs. It feels like such a huge step and I'm, I'm making the hand motions like literally like I'm taking a <laughs> vertical step up uh, <laughs> because it, it doesn't, whether it's cost that prohibits you or, or you think that prohibits you, there's all these other things that it's like, well, gosh, I could save money if I'm doing it all or, or whatever that might be. Yeah. But I think that one to think about what are you really passionate and really freaking good at and do that. And the other things that you'd have to be learning on the spot and, and spending so much time and not really enjoying doing to outsource that. Yes, it's going to cost money, but you're going to save time and you cannot get any more time. That's right. You don't get that time back. I also think that it's worth talking about pieces of the pie. And when you really believe in what you're doing and you can see where it's going, even though we may not, I, you know, I shouldn't say we, I'll just speak for myself. There are for sure times when I would run out of budget to bring in team on what it is that I have to do, but creating the opportunity for income for somebody else by giving them a piece of the pie of futures. I mean, that's what the entertainment business is built on. That's where I came from as a musician, an engineer, producer, and then filmmaker, you know, the points on a success. And the, that's super motivational to be part of building something. And I think we'd always be surprised at how many people are out there that would love to be a part of building something. And so, yeah, there's people who work for money and you're going to have to come up with that money. But there's probably a space in between where you can find that place to go, you know what, I, I've got this for actual money, but you know what? I can give you this as points. I think that opens up doors and creates opportunity. Yeah. Can you say a little bit more about like 
points? Because I think that's a really interesting perspective on that. So points for me, that came from, uh, I, I guess the first time I, I heard about that was songwriting. I remember going to Nashville and someone told me, oh, it sounds like you should get a publishing deal. I was like, that's awesome. What's a publishing deal? <laughs> so I, <laughs> they sent me to see a publisher and th- this doesn't happen anymore, by the way. And I, maybe it never happened at all. And it j- I was just <laughs> at the right place on the right day. And so I sat down with this publishing company and showed them the songs and they were just like, that's fantastic. Would you like a publishing deal? And I was like, yeah, I think I do because I've heard it's really great, but I don't know what one is. What is it? And so they're just like, well, we will pay you so much to write songs. And based on that, you'll have to, to pay us back. But you also, when somebody does something with songs, you'll see some points come in from that. You'll get a percentage. And I'm just like, really? What does that look like? And so then they explained it all to me. And then it's it's amazing how <laughs> the entertainment business is built on that. And so we have actors who on the film say that I haven't, I've never worked on a big feature film, but I do get to work on the, the artsy independence as a director of photography. And so when that happens, the budget isn't there to bring in a big name, but they will always take points. And so they want to make something artsy themselves because they want to be a creative. And sometimes, you know, the roles that they play don't allow them to be that creative. So they'll take a job on one of these indie things. And if for some reason it takes off, then they get participation on the income that it brings in. And so I think there's opportunity for points in almost everything. It's just like, here's what our gross is. And I'll get you 2% of that. I mean, it seems like Visa has made a great business out of doing that. You know, (laughs) there's some companies that have made a pretty good model (laughs) that have gone before us. And it's just like, well, maybe we can do the same. When you said points, my head was in such a different place. I'm glad that I asked you to clarify that because now I'm on board. I was like, what does he mean by that? Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. That's that's a very cool way to do it and something that isn't really thought of too much in the, I mean, the only place that I really know about that is in investing in someone's already established business. So it's interesting to think about that in smaller spaces, in startups and small businesses and entrepreneurship. I think participation is great. I think there's two reasons it's great. One is that it incentivizes. And the other is that there is that lottery ticket mentality that there's a reason that you want to see that place win. Well, Alec, I have loved our conversation today. I am very excited to see what comes of your program, of your course, and to see how you market it and how it continues to change and evolve over time. Where are some places that the audience can find you at? Well, first off, thanks for chatting with me. So enjoy a chat with a fellow creative. It's been fantastic. So thank you for that. My online course is at yourvisualbrand.com. It is not up as of this week, but man, we are like we are two weeks away from soft launch and about six weeks away from like the fully integrated launch where there's like a team involved, you know, an actual team. And, and you know, maybe they even get points. That's gonna be a super exciting change for 
for me in life. And then if anybody wants to just check out some cool photography and what I do, alecwatson.com is actually where my poor neglected website that I rarely update, but I've done some things that I'm really proud of and I post them on there. Awesome. Any social medias to be following you on? So yeah, go check out your visual brand on Instagram. Apparently everybody loves it. Everybody's in love on there right now. So popular. I, yeah, it's every, everybody's talking about it. But you know what? I will say that my goal with social media is if anybody's showing up there, I am giving away the tips to make your brand more visually impactful. So there absolutely is a reason to go there and get little updates and tidbits every day. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time, for sharing your story and your expertise. And I can't wait to continue to follow your journey. Well, thank you very much. And you have a fantastic day. I can't wait to listen to more podcasts. Yes. Thanks for joining us today on the Executive Order Podcast. If you're enjoying the show, don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And if you're really enjoying the show, leave me a review. If you want to connect with the podcast on Instagram or Twitter, you can find it at Executive Order Podcast. And if you want more information or to connect with me about organizing, you can find me at zeniaorganizers.com. All links in the show notes. Can't wait to chat with you in the next episode.